And for the last couple of weeks, for those of you who've been here, I've been emphasizing the E, and in particular talking about divine healing. And it's been encouraging because I've been hearing uh, some testimonies of people who've gotten healed because I've been, uh, you guys have been praying for each other, and, and it's awesome that the Lord, I mean, go figure, he, he actually says what he, uh, does what he says he's going to do, right? And so um, anyway, if you, ha- by the way, if you have any testimonies, uh, please share them with us. Often we don't hear the testimonies, and they're incidental. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, I was healed last week. It's like, really cool. So uh, we love hearing testimonies, so please share them. Um, but anyway, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue on empowering in the anointing, and specifically, I'm going to broaden it a little bit. So the first week I talked about divine healing and the biblical basis of divine healing. Then last week I talked about how to keep your healing. And so uh, if you know of anybody who's been divinely healed and then they quote-unquote lost their healing, last week the whole point was really to equip you to, to defend and keep your healing. And so if you uh, have never heard a message on that, I would encourage you to, to get it. Uh, again, we can just send it to you because that's something that a lot of people don't know. And if you're unaware, the devil will try and steal your healing often. So it's just a biblical uh, foundation for how to keep your healing. This week, I want to broaden it just a little bit, actually a lot, to understanding the authority of the believer. Because this is, I, you know, I kind of realized last week a little bit, and when I was praying about it, I felt like to, to have a message on this. And then I realized this is really important. This is a really foundational uh, um, basis you need to know and have if you're going to operate in the anointing, if you're going to operate in healing and deliverance and all the stuff that Jesus tells us to do. In order to do that, you have to understand the authority that we have as believers. And so today what I want to do is talk about our authority, give a scriptural foundation and basis for the authority we have as believers. Um, and so um, there's going to be a little bit of, or some review for those of you who here last couple of weeks, but then we're going to talk about some other things. So what I wanted to start off with, and those of you who are new, you'll have to bear with me. I use a ton of scripture and that's why I put them up there. So you don't have to be uh, going through your Bibles. You can look up there if you want. But the first thing I want to talk about is Mark 16, 15 through 18. This is the Great Commission. This is Jesus' last words before he ascends to heaven in Mark's gospel. And this is what he tells them, okay? This is what he's telling all of us as disciples and believers of Jesus Christ. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Okay, I'm going to pause there and ask the question, how many of you believe? How many believe in Jesus Christ? How many of you are saved? Okay, so why I ask that is because this is applying to all of us, right? It says all who believe, every single one of us, okay? In my name, they'll drive out demons, They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. <laughs> Trisha's dad had, anyway, that experience a couple days ago. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Wow, that's awesome. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. 
Okay, so in other words, as believers, all of these signs are supposed to be following us, right? According to Jesus. We're supposed to speak in tongues. We're supposed to cast out demons. We're supposed to be able to heal everybody if we lay our hands on them. John 14, 12. This is, again, Jesus talking. For some reason, the font's getting smaller there, but anyway. This is Jesus. I, I mean... I say this every time I talk about this, because I talk about this verse sometimes. This blows me away every time I read it. Look at Jesus. Jesus is not a liar, right? So this is true. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, how many of you, I'm going to ask this again, believe in Jesus? So this is you. Okay. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater works than these. Because I'm going to the Father. Greater works than Jesus Christ. This is applicable to whoever believes. Okay. So this is all of us. Sometimes Jesus' words are hard to believe because that sounds so fantastic. But it's true, right? Jesus is the personification of truth. So he's not lying. It's impossible. Okay. So. Jesus would not tell you to do something you couldn't do. Would he? He wouldn't say, heal the sick, cast out demons, speak in new tongues, if you couldn't do it. Right? Are we all agreed on that? Okay. So the question then is, why are we not seeing many of these signs that should accompany every believer? Isn't that a good question? A lot of people ask that question, especially in the West. It's like, okay, how come like, people like Reinhard Bonnke will go to Africa and see all these miracles and salvations, but in the West, it's like, you know... You're lucky if you get one or two healings in a meeting or whatever. And so that's a good question that we should be asking. It's important to ask why is it that we're not seeing these things that Jesus says should follow every single believer. And Jesus says we should be even doing greater things than he did. Now, I believe that one reason that this is, is that many believers don't know don't, or they don't operate in the authority that belongs to us in Jesus Christ. So either they're ignorant, I'm not meaning that negative, I realize that has negative connotations, meaning they just, they don't realize that they have the authority that they do, or else they technically know it, but they're not actually doing it or operating in the authority. Does that make sense? And so that's, I believe, one of the main reasons, one, at least a big reason why we're not seeing these signs. Um, very regularly. Now, I, I read uh, John G. L I, how, many, how many of you heard of John G. Lake? Okay, if you don't know, this guy's phenomenal, and you should look him up. You should read his stuff. He was, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, because I saw some people didn't, uh, about 100 years ago and more, he, he's just really well known for uh, his healing ministry. And to this day, he's impacting the world through it. But, like, for instance, in 1914, he started a healing rooms, quote-unquote, in Spokane, Washington. And in, within five years, 100,000 documented healings took five years. That's 20,000 a year took place in just this one. In fact, Spokane, Washington was declared the healthiest city in the United States of America when John G. Lake was there. What, come on now. Don't we want that reputation in Ottawa, Right? The, the healthiest city in, let's just say, the world because of divine healing that's happening. Wouldn't that be awesome? So anyway, I'm just letting you know who this is a little bit if you didn't know. But this is, I was reading one of his sermons. I have this, a bunch of his sermons, but one of his <laughs> books, it's like a thousand pages of his sermons. 
Anyway, uh, this caught me. He was talking about the Sabbath, but this quote's from that sermon. Anyway, indeed, I have this in my heart, that the low state of Christian experience that's common among men is mostly accounted for by this one fact, that Christians have failed to grasp the exalted place into which Jesus Christ puts us when we've been made sons of God. Isn't that interesting? This one fact, he says, this is, the, this is my, in my opinion, the reason why we're not seeing these signs so much is because we fail to grasp the exalted place Jesus Christ has put us as children of God. And so, and, and so that's a little bit, I thought that was relevant. I read that a few weeks ago, but I remembered it. I'm like, this is really relevant to what I'm talking about today. Because what I'm talking about is we need to have the revelation and the realization of who we are in Christ in order to function and operate in the signs and wonders that he tells us to. Okay? And so that's my key point today, is that Jesus has delegated his power and his authority over the devil to all believers on the earth. To all of us. Now, this is the tragedy, is that by not knowing our authority in Christ, many times people have done nothing when the devil attacks them. And by doing nothing, we unintentionally let the devil just do what he wants to do. Does that make sense? So through at least not operating in the authority we have or not understanding it, when the devil attacks, a lot of times people don't do anything about it because they're just waiting on God to do something, Right? when God's often waiting on us to do something. Because he gave us the authority. He says, you heal the sick. You cast out demons. You raise the dead. You cleanse the lepers. So how many of you, I, there's nowhere in the Bible, and I know this violates people's the, theology, but if you think about it, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever pray to the Father to cast out a demon or tell us to pray to the Father to cast out a demon. Never once does he tell us to pray to the Father to heal the sick. He tells us to heal the sick. And if you look at how Jesus operated, and I've talked about this before, he commanded sickness. He didn't say, Father, please heal this person. He said, be healed, be open. And Jesus, well, he didn't say in Jesus' name. We do. Be open. And they are, right? Or Lazarus, come out. And he came out. What's my point? My point is Jesus gave us that authority, and that's how we're supposed So it, how many of you remember in Exodus 14? 10 to, it's 10 to 22. There, the, I mentioned this before, but this is a perfect picture of what I'm talking about. The children of Israel, right, they're, uh, they're escaping Egypt, and Pharaoh and his army are coming to, <laughs> chasing them, and then they come up to the Red Sea. And, the, and then they're crying out to God, it says, Right? Because, of course, I mean, they're like, what, did you lead us out here to die? Weren't there graves in Egypt that we could have died and been buried in? Why did you lead us out here to die? So they're crying out to God to deliver them. And Moses is like, don't worry, God will deliver you. And you know what God says? He says, why are you crying out to me? He asks them that. Why are you crying out to me? Tell them to go, put the staff, and wave your hand over the sea. In other words, he had the staff of authority that God had already given him. He's like, why are you crying out to me? You do something with the authority I gave you to do. And then he split the Red Sea. It's the same thing today. Often we're crying out to God. God, do something. When God's like, wait, I told you to do it. And I gave you the authority to do it. You do something. It's a shift in perspective. Now, I'm not saying that praying to the Father is wrong. Please don't hear me wrong. Okay, that's okay. And you see people healed that way. That's fine. 
I've said this before, but because there's new people here, um, John G. Lake's ministry actually shifted majorly. He saw way more healings way more often when he shifted from praying, God, please heal this person, to declaring, be healed in Jesus' name. The different, right? The command. So there's a key in that. We need to know and understand the authority and see the responsibilities ours. Like I told you last week in James 4, 7, where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We're supposed to resist the devil, right? Jesus isn't going to resist the devil for us because he says, you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Often we're like praying, God, you resist the devil. And he's like, no, I told you to resist him, right? And so sometimes it's, the, it's just God saying, look, I gave you the authority, I gave you the word, you do it. And we need to know and understand. Now, in order to do it, we need to understand the authority we have in Christ. And that's my point today. I'm going to give a scriptural foundation so that we can have that revelation of the power we have in Jesus Christ so that we can have the confidence and faith to actually do that. Because if you don't have the faith or you don't have the biblical foundation, then often doubt comes in because you're not sure whether it's God's will, right? And that's why the first message on, he- on healing, I spent a whole bunch of time saying, no, look, it's God's will. And I gave you scripture after scripture showing that, okay? So it's important to have that foundation because if you think, hey, it might be God's will that this person's sick, then you're going to have doubts and not have the faith to actually co- command the sickness to leave. I love this verse, and, I, and I'm just putting it up, uh, Romans 517, putting it up here because this is just a great verse. I, you'll see why in a minute. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign through the one man, Jesus Christ? Isn't that awesome? How much more will we reign in this life through Jesus Christ? We're supposed to be ruling and reigning. In this life. And that's what it's saying. God's plan is for us is that we rule and reign in life, okay? So to rule and reign over circumstances, poverty, disease, and everything that's not in line with his kingdom. We're supposed to rule and reign over. That's why Jesus told us, cast out devils, heal the sick, right? All that stuff. Because we are, as kingdom children, supposed to be showing people what heaven is like. Right? There's no demons in heaven, is there? There's no sickness in heaven, is there? Right? There's no poverty in heaven. And that's why Jesus, I have this up here, he tells us to pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Look at this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, what? As it is in heaven. So what's God's will? What's God's will? This answers you. On earth as it is in heaven. So if it's not in heaven, you know it's not his will to be on earth. So in other words, healing is not his will, is it? Because there's no sickness in heaven. Disease is in heaven. (laughs) Sorry, thank you. (laughs) Healing's not, oh my goodness, thank you guys. Healing is in heaven. Sickness is not in heaven. My goodness, thank you. Sometimes you get excited and don't even realize what you're saying. Okay, there is no disease in heaven, is there? So if you're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's how Jesus said you're supposed to pray. Heaven to earth, heaven to earth. So if somebody's sick, your will be done, kingdom come in this person's life, right? Not just in healing, in poverty. There's guaranteed no homelessness or poverty in heaven. That answers the question whether it's God's will that there be poverty, right? I mean, come on, our circumstances, 
When, the, when there was a storm, what did Jesus say? Be quiet. And the storm stopped. Often, we're, like I said, we're waiting for God to do something. He's waiting for us to do something about it. So, when we realize that the authority that belongs to Christ also belongs to the individual believers body of, in the body of Christ, and it, that's available to us, the same power is available to us, our lives will be revolutionized, guaranteed. No question, okay? And that's why I want to talk about this today, scriptural foundation for the believer's authority. Some of you are going to recognize these scriptures, some of these scriptures, and that's just because I, I believe in the gift of repetition. <laughs> Mike Bickle calls it that. The gift of repetition, meaning the more you repeat something, the more likely you're going to retain it. So if you've heard me talk about these scriptures before, um, it's good because hopefully by the end of this, you'll just know them and be like, okay, I really have authority in Jesus Christ. Now this scripture I haven't talked about before, but... This is a great scripture. Talk about the authority of a believer. This is a great scripture from Matthew 8. And I'm going to just give most of it. But verses 5 through 10 and verse 13. Okay? So when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Look at what the centurion said. This is awesome. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. That's all. For I myself, get this, we're talking about authority, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, I, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So, I'll finish this before I... Go on that. So verse 10, when Jesus heard this, look at this, he was amazed. I love that. We can actually amaze Jesus with our faith. He was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith because he understood the authority that Jesus has and can delegate to you. Okay. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. We're called to be the army of God, right? And this centurion had a revelation about authority to such an extent that he knew, Jesus, if you just say, okay, your servant will be healed, and you, you tell me to go, my servant's going to be healed because you delegated that authority to me like I would tell people to go do this and they'd go do it, right? Does that make sense? So in other words, he had so much faith in Jesus' authority to, and to delegate that authority for healing. And Jesus was like, wow, that is great faith. That you would believe that I could just say, okay, you go heal your servant and he'll go be healed. And I don't even have to be there. I remember Rick joined. <laughs> I won't go there. Sorry. I have to keep on track today. I have a lot to cover. I was just going to say, there's a lot of revelation for that we can learn from the army really could. Okay, I'll say it since you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> How many of you heard of Lieutenant Jerry Boykin? Retired Lieutenant Jerry Boykin. He, if you've ever heard or read the book or movie Black Hawk Down, he was, anyway, well-known guy. Brian knows him. Um, Rick Joyner once asked him to preach at his church, and he was like, I don't have any sermons. And he, Rick was like, okay, why don't you just preach on the, you know, what the army of God, what we could learn as the body of Christ 
if, if it looked like the army of God that we're supposed to be. And, Rick, and so he did, as a, as a retired lieutenant general, uh, uh, preached on it. And Rick was like, that is, was such a powerful message with so much revelation that we need to grasp in the church if we're going to defeat the enemy and do what God's called us to do strategically in this time. He said, very few people have that revelation other than professional athletes and people who've been in the army. But anyway, that's another, this, the, why did I say that? I went on a tangent. Because the centurion understood that too. That's why Jesus was amazed at his faith because of the authority and the revelation he had of the authority. If we would just believe when Jesus told us to go heal the sick, that we go do it because Jesus told us to and he delegated his authority, that's great faith, right? And that's what we're supposed to be doing is having that revelation of the authority we have in Christ. Okay, so I'm going to move on here. Now, look at this. Just a couple chapters later when Jesus calls his 12 disciples and he says to them, look at this. He gave them authority, and I have that in blue, to drive up impure spirits and to heal what? Every, every, every disease and sickness. Not some. He gave his disciples, meaning us, if we're disciples, authority over impure spirits and to heal every sickness. Okay. Then the twelve were sent over the following instructions. Go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Look at this. This, this is applicable to all of us. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cat, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely receive, freely give. Now on that note, I'm going to fast forward to the Great Commission. Just keep that in mind, what Jesus said there, what we're supposed to do as disciples. So this is Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All, what? Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, with that authority... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Why am I emphasizing everything? Because how many of you know Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8, includes everything he commanded them? Preach the gospel, heal the sick, Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Right? Did he not command them that? Now, what he's telling us is we make disciples of all nations, not just converts, disciples, teaching them everything. And what, this is all included in everything. How do you heal the sick? How do you raise the dead? How do you cleanse the lepers? So this is part of discipleship. How many, like, I don't know if you learn this in discipleship classes these days. Probably not. I mean, some of them maybe. But this is, what, this is the only thing Jesus mandated us, teaching him everything I taught you, told you, commanded you, which includes all this. So we're supposed to be doing that. Notice he didn't give him instructions how to do it. He just said do it. Luke 9, 1, uh, 1 to 3 and verse 6. This is Luke's version now. I love Luke's version. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. There's a difference. To drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's what we're supposed to do. Proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick as a demonstration of the kingdom's here. So they set out, went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. That's how the kingdom gets spread. You demonstrate the kingdom's here. There's no sickness in heaven, so guess what? Bam, you're healed. There's evidence that the kingdom's real. There's no demons in heaven, so bam, demons are gone. There, there you, you have it. There's no demons in heaven. You're demonstrating the kingdom by doing these things. There's no death in heaven. 
So bam, raise the dead, right? That's, that's what he, why we have to demonstrate is that people will believe that the kingdom's real, because it is. Um, now, the very next chapter, in Luke 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he, uh, he was about to go. And this is his instructions again. Verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near to you. Now, this is, this is where I'm going. Okay. If you're like, where, where are you going? They go out and do the stuff like Jesus commanded them. And they come back rejoicing. This, look, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Because he gave them authority. I'm going to talk about that more later. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, verse 19. This is awesome. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the devil. All the power of the enemy, not some. All the power of the enemy, I've given you authority to overcome. And nothing will harm you. Isn't that awesome? That's a promise of God to all of us as disciples because we have the same authority. He, in the Great Commission, gave us the same authority and said, I've given you authority over all the power of the devil, all of it, all of it, over sickness, over disease, over anything that the devil would try and put on you. You have the same authority to overcome it and nothing will harm you, period. We just have to believe it. So the value, this is important, Actually, I'm going to say this. What's the difference between authority and power? I love this illustration that I've heard from different people. A police officer can stand out in the middle of the road and say, stop in the name of the law to a semi-truck coming towards him. Right? If he just comes out, stands there, the semi-truck stops. Why? The police officer definitely doesn't have more power than the semi-truck, does he? But he has the authority in the name of the law to say stop, and the semi-truck will stop. Does that make sense? Authority is delegated power. So the same power that Jesus has, he delegates it to us, and then we can operate just like the police officer in the name of the law. In, in the, na- like, right? the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And it's just as if Jesus said it, because he gave us the same authority to do it. So, Jesus, our, the value of our authority rests on the power that is behind that authority, and God himself is the power behind our authority. God himself. I'm going to show you more scripture on this. It's amazing. So the devil and his forces are obligated, they're obliged to recognize our authority in Christ. So as believers, as born-again believers, we have that authority. The question is, do you know it? Do you realize it? And the devil will test you on this. He'll test you on this. Does does that person really know and believe they have the authority of Christ? Well, I'll just put a sickness on them and see. Are they going to just put up with my attacks? Says the devil, right? And then he's going to see, are they going to say, no, leave in Jesus' name. I command you to go. Are they going to put up with it? Because if you put up with it, then the devil knows, okay, They don't understand the authority they have in Christ. That's a lot of times why attacks happen and keep happening. Now, I'm not saying if they keep happening that that, that you don't have that belief. I'm just saying often that's the case, that believers don't understand and realize this authority they have. If the believers who thoroughly understand that the power of God is backing them can exercise their authority and face the enemy fearlessly, if you believed that you had the same power and authority of Jesus Christ, that's it. 
Because we know he defeated the devil on the cross, right? We know that. You just need to believe and understand you have that same power and authority as he did. Okay, so you might be like, well, how do I get that revelation? Fortunately, the book of Ephesians gives us so many scriptures and revelations on our authority in Christ. And the power we have resident in us so that we can overcome the devil. It's really a war manual. Now, what I want to say, and, and, and for those of you who are new here, I love, and I say this whenever I speak on it, and I used to always do this with my students too, the apostolic prayers. How many of you know what the apostolic prayers are? Okay, if you come here, you should know. If you don't know, or you just forgot what that is, it's basically the prayers in the Bible that the apostles prayed in Scripture. I love them. I love the apostolic prayers because not only does it give us a glimpse into how the apostles prayed, God loved those prayers so much, he's like, I love that prayer. I'm going to canonize it in Scripture forever. Now, don't you think if God put prayers in the Bible that we might pay attention to them and maybe even use them and pray them for ourselves, our loved ones, and whatever, right? But what I love is I, it gives us a glimpse into how, like, for instance, Paul the Apostle prayed, and he prayed crazy prayers, but I mean bold prayers. So in Ephesians, what's cool is he prays two significantly large prayers, and they give us keys into understanding what we should be praying and understanding the authority we have in Christ, okay? So I want to start off in the first prayer. And just, if you know this, just pretend you've never heard this, okay, and that you're hearing it for the first time. This is Ephesians chapter 1, 16 through 23. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Isn't that awesome? It's all about intimacy. Which, by the way, our first value, actually first two values, but a first value is what? Experiencing God as Father. Understanding God positionally that he's our Father, we're his children, is a huge key in this. That we are the children of God, we're co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 14. Oh, anyway. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that, there's three things. You may, first of all, know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints or his holy people. Now, this is where I'm going. Verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. You see that? Paul's praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know him and that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know this incomparable, that you have this incomparably great power resident within you because you believe. Does that make sense? Paul's praying because we, this is, what I'm, this is my point of my message. Not only that we'd have a scriptural foundation, but that we believe and understand and know the power we have within us through Christ. And that's what he's praying. That your heart would be enlightened so that you would know this incomparably great power for you. Now look at this. This is awesome. We often stop there, but he goes on to define what that power is. This is crazy in a good way. This is just unfathomable in some ways. This is why Paul has to pray it. So that we have the revelation, because it takes revelation to realize this is the power that we have. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay, I'm going to pause there. The incomparably great power in us who believe, all believers, 
is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. Look, he goes on. Far above all, not some, all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That same power is in every single one of you. Do you believe it? And if you don't, that's okay. And that's why Paul has to pray it in the Bible for all of us for all time so that we would come to terms with the fact that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And we have that power over every authority, every power, every dominion, every name that can be named. Okay? And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is why we should be praying these prayers for ourselves, right? Like I'm saying, we need to have this revelation of the authority and power we have so that we can overcome the devil and the schemes of the devil and the works of the devil by, because we have the same power in us. Now, it doesn't end there. Look at four verses later, and I'm skipping four verses just for the sake of time. You can read it, but this is Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. But because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. Verse 6, and God (laughs) raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you remember where Christ is seated? What did we just pray? At the right hand of God, above all rule and authority and dominion and power and every name that can be named in this age and the age to come, we're seated there, present tense, right now with Christ in the heavenly realms beside God. In other words, we have that same authority and we have that same power. You see that? He raised us up and seated us at his right hand with Christ. This passage deals with the conferring of his authority on believers. And positionally, that's where we are right now. This is present tense. We're seated with Christ in the place of authority in the heavenly realms. Isn't that amazing? Over all of authority, every dominion power of the devil. Now, Ephesians 3, I actually prayed these two prayers earlier. Now, I don't have this whole prayer here for the sake of time, but I recommend you look up Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I'm just going to give you a couple verses to make a point. Look at what Paul prays here now. This is still Ephesians. This is chapter 3 now. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with what? Power (laughs) through his spirit in in your inner being. And he prays why? So that we know the love of God, love of Christ. But get this. In verse 19 he says, and that you would be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. That's, That's amazing that Paul would even pray such a thing. But look at verse 20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How? According to his power that's at work within us. Just say lying here for a minute. (laughs) Pausing, I mean. Like, isn't that amazing? He can do above and beyond all we can imagine, and he just prayed some bold things according to the power that's at work within every single believer. And you, the same power. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, 
Where am I going with this? Last week we talked about the armor of God, right? How does Ephesians end? Ephesians chapter 6. But I want to read this now in light of what I just read, what Paul just prayed and what he told us. Okay? So this is verse 10. Finally, this is the end of his letter. Be strong in the Lord in what? In his mighty power. The incomparably great power for us who believe. The power that raised Jesus from the dead and raised him and seated him at the right hand of God above all what? Rule and authority, dominion, power. And every name that can be evoked. Interesting. Look at what he says now. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you remember the prayer he prayed and what powers resident within you? Right? Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God above what? All rule and authority and dominion and power. You see that? In other words, you have that same power. You're seated with Christ over all of that. Now look at this. Your struggles against those powers that you have authority over. All rule, all authority, all dominion, all every name that can be named. You see that, right? I'm trying to make the connection with chapter 1 and, and 3. Yeah? No? Okay, cool. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then. Because there's new people here, I'll finish this. I just put dot, dot, dot. But he talks about the armor of God. Now, I talked about this last week, how the armor of God is, isn't just some symbolism. It's really practical. So he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with your breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your fit, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And remember last week we talked about Jesus in the desert. How did he defeat the devil? With the armor of God. When the devil came and attacked him, Jesus said what? It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He counterattacked every single test and temptation with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. That's our offensive weapon. Scripture, right? And the shield of faith he used, and every time the devil tempted him, he extinguished those temptations with the shield of faith. See, so Jesus actually shows us in Scripture practically how we actually apply the armor of God because he's saying, look, you're going to have to struggle against these things, but you have authority over them. Now you stand firm and you defeat the devil this way. This is your battle gear. So our combat with the devil should always be with the knowledge that we have authority over him because he's defeated. That's good news. The Lord Jesus Christ defeated him for us. This is great. Colossians 2.15, talking about Jesus and having disarmed the powers and the authorities he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, right? The powers and authorities we have to struggle against in this life. But we have the authority and power to do so over all the power of the enemy. So as believers, Christ's incomparably great power and authority belongs to us whether we realize it or not. And it's important, that's my point, is we should realize it. And if you don't realize it, why not pray Ephesians 1 for yourself? But now this is important. Just knowing it intellectually, just knowing it isn't enough. It's knowledge acted upon that brings results. You actually have to act upon it. 
So if Jesus, right, if Jesus says, he says, go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, if you sit at home and never try, it's never going to happen. Does that make sense? You actually have to do it. You actually have to go in faith and lay your hands on the sick, and Jesus says they'll recover, right? So we actually have to apply this stuff. We actually have to do it in faith like the centurion that Jesus' word said it, and therefore we can do it. We, okay, now, exercising our authority. So how do we do it? That's a great question, because Jesus doesn't give us instructions. I talked a little bit about this with healing. He doesn't tell us how other than lay your hands on the sick and they'll be healed. He doesn't say anything really other than that, other than go heal the sick. So how do you heal the sick? He doesn't say pray for the sick ever. He says lay your hands on the sick, heal the sick. So I made the point that there's no formula, but there are keys to exercising our authority. One of them is through the name of Jesus. Now, I started off talking about this extravagant verse in John 14, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father. Here's the key to greater works. Verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Whatever. Not some things, right? Whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it, says Jesus. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he says it again in a different way. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. You see the key? Anything, not some things. I'll do anything if you ask for it in my name. I started off with Mark 14, 16, with the Great Commission. And these signs will accompany those who believe. What's the key? In my name. That's why I've been blue there. In my name, they'll drive out demons, right? Speak in new tongues, heal the sick, all that stuff in my name because the, the authority is in his name. His, it's delegated to us, but the key is if we do it in his name, that's what, how it's going to be affected. John 15, 16. Just in case you didn't believe those ones. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. How many of you know healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead is good fruit? Do you want to bear that fruit? How? And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you so that you bear that good fruit. You see the connection? John 16, 23 to 24. In that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive, and your joy will be complete. Okay. So hopefully we're convinced if we haven't. How do you exercise your authority? The name of Jesus is one key. The second key, and I want to talk about this in light of that now, because we've talked about this before, authority and the prayer of command. Talking about, and I alluded to this earlier, how Jesus commanded sickness to be open and the deaf ears are open. Lazarus, come out and the dead was raised. Be clean and the lepers were cleansed. Come out of them and the demons left. So how do you heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons? Jesus shows us. However, we're not Jesus and so how do we do that? Now, there's some, actually, before I go there, I wanted to give this. This is an amazing teaching on prayer that Jesus gives us. This is from Mark eleven twenty-two 22 to 24. 
Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and doesn't doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, will be done for them. What's the point? Look at what Jesus defines prayer, prayer as here. Commanding the mountain to go. Right? He's not saying, Father, please move this mountain. He's saying, go throw yourself into the sea. That's how we defeat circumstances. That's how we cast out demons. That's how we heal the sick. You say, go in the name of Jesus Christ, and it has to listen to you. Right? It's commanding it. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, for in prayer, whatever, not something, whatever, believe that you've received it and it'll be yours. Those are phenomenal scriptures, aren't they? And they're from Jesus, so we can bank on them as being true. You just have to believe it. I love this one too. Mark 9, 23. Everything is possible for him who believes. Everything. Moving mountains. There's no limits. Why don't we say that on the count of three? No limits. One, two, three. No limits. None. Zero. Because everything is possible for him who believes. Everything. It's amazing. Now, what I wanted to show you this week is sort of expand on what I showed you last week with this command prayer and show you how the disciples did the same thing, but there's a slight difference. Okay, so when they prayed for the sick or raised the dead or cast out demons, they commanded them. They didn't pray to the Father. At least it doesn't say they did. They commanded it. So really short prayers too. It's awesome. Here's just some quick examples. This isn't exhaustive, just some examples. Acts 3, 6 to 8. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give to you. Here's his prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know that story, Right? The, the, the guy who's paralyzed from birth, everyone knew him. And he, all he said is, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. That's his prayer. And the guy gets up, totally healed. Simple, isn't it? Super short, really simple. Acts 9.34. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. He was paralyzed too, couldn't walk. Acts 14.9-10. Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed, called out, stand up on your feet. And that man jumped up and began to walk. Notice it's the same. It's just, there's no formula. They say it a bit differently, but it's just commanding it. Mostly in the name of Jesus. But notice Paul doesn't even say in the name of Jesus. He just says, stand up and walk. And he does because Jesus gave him that authority to do it. But usually they say in the name of Jesus because, right, that's the key of the authority. We talked about that. Raising the dead. How do you raise the dead? Here's an example. Acts 9.40. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning towards the dead woman. He said, what? Tabitha, get up. She's dead. Three words. Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing and Peter, and she sat up. It's really simple, right? Casting out Demons. Acts 16, 18. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. You see, right? Commanding it. That's how we do it. That's how we get results because we have the power and authority to do so. The point is we have to do it. We have to do it. Be moved in Jesus' name to the mountains, right? Now, this is an important point I thought I should say. For some, I just felt like to include this. 
The key to our authority is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is an important key, and I'm going to show you why. When we're, especially when we're confronting the demonic. You know, what's interesting is Muslims, I've heard this multiple, more than once, I don't say more than once, that Muslims know there's power in the name of Jesus, and behind closed doors, they actually tell their children, some of them, the Christians can cast out demons and heal the sick in the name of Jesus. So if you're ever in trouble, call out to the name of Jesus and he'll deliver you. They actually tell, I've heard Muslims say that, right? Because they know there's power in the name. It's true. But when you're confronting demons, then you need a relation with Jesus or else it could get dangerous. And this is a perfect example of that, okay? Because these people did not have a relationship with Jesus and tried it and you'll see what happens. So this is Acts 19, verse 13. Some Jews went about around uh, driving out evil spirits. Tried, they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out, right? It's, notice the wording's exactly the same as Paul. And if, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. But they say, whom Paul preaches. In other words, they don't have the relationship with Jesus, Right? Now, this is kind of funny because the demons <laughs> respond to them. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this one day. The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Right? You don't have this authority. Who are you to try and kill? Right? So the, de- the demons knew the person didn't have that authority because he's saying in whom Paul preaches. So look what happens. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and it overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Okay. Important. As believers, every single one of you has that authority. If you're not a believer, I would caution you to not take on demons unless you have that relation with Jesus. Does that make sense? So I just want to make sure if there's non-believers in here, you know that. That's an important key. Okay, last but not least, I'm going to just do this one quick, but it's important, and then we're going to do something. We're talking about how do you do this stuff? How do you exercise your authority? Laying hands on people is another way you exercise your authority. Mark 16, 18, you'll remember, they place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. So here's just a couple of verses. There's a whole bunch. There's just a few, just so you have faith in this, with Jesus doing this. So healing the sick, that's something we're supposed to do. Matthew 8, 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. So touch, just touching her, the fever left. Raising the dead, again, how do you raise the dead? Here's an example. Matthew 9, 25, after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. That's how he raised the dead. Cleansing the lepers, Matthew 8, 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and he said, I'm willing. And he said, be clean. And immediately he's cleansed of leprosy. So not only, so he did both. He laid his hands on and he commanded it, right? You see that. Okay, so those are three ways we exercise our authority. The name of Jesus, the prayer of command, and laying hands on people, okay? Now I couldn't think, so you notice there's healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers. I couldn't think of an example where they laid hands for casting out demons. So that might only be through words. I don't know. There's no formula. But I know in Matthew 8, actually right after uh, this verse I just gave you, it says Jesus cast the demons out with a word and healed all the sick. So there's something about commanding the demons with your words that's important. Okay, now, (laughs) after talking about the authority we have in Christ, after giving you a scriptural foundation with the authority you have in Christ, let's do an activation. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God is in you. 
not, not just to heal. Now, healing's a big part of it, and so we want to pray for healing. But anything, poverty, circumstances, you speak to them in Jesus' name and tell them to get in line, right, with the kingdom, or whatever you have to say. So, like we did the last two weeks, and like I said, there's been testimonies of healing. This is great. I want to do this. Now, if you want, there's no pressure. I understand if you have to go, we bless you to leave. Or we have hospitality, just so you know. If you're not comfortable because you're new here and you don't want to do this, that's fine. We have hospitality. If you go to the lobby on the left, we have snacks and coffee and fellowship. You feel free to stay around and, and get to know each other and fellowship. But for the rest of us who want to do this, and I encourage you to do it, can I have one of those sheets? So... Last week, I um, printed a sheet uh, of healing scriptures, okay? Now, if you don't, these are promises for healing um, from in, in order of where they appear in the Bible, Old and New Testament. If you weren't here and you want one of these, I have some extras, so I'll give them to you if you weren't here last week. But this week, I have another thing for, for when the enemy attacks, but, and if you weren't here last week, but I, already, I did talk about this today. When Jesus was attacked in the wilderness, he said, it is written. And he gave a scripture relevant to the temptation that the devil was trying to use against him. Right? It is written. When he said, turn this stone into bread, Jesus said, it's written that man shall not, what? Live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here is some more. We, right? It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. I, I compiled a list of scriptures to declare to the devil if you're if he's attacking you from scriptural promises you know and i mentioned this earlier in second corinthians 120 it says no matter how many promises god has made they're all yes in christ every single one of these the answer is yes and it says, through him, the amen spoken by us to the glory of God, meaning we have to come in the agreement with him. We actually have to pray and say amen. But the point is, yes. So I, uh, if the ushers would, I want to hand these out. Here's some more uh, weapons for your arsenal that you can use when the enemy attacks. It is written. Now, in this one, I, um, I actually got this one from, uh, how many of you heard of Craig Broker? Okay. Oh, yeah, Kim. He's awesome. But anyway, uh, I actually got this list from Times Refreshing. It's his website. Awesome, awesome ministry. Anyway, it's from the New King James Version. And some of these declarations I like better in the New King James anyway. But they're written in the first person. So you say it, you personalize, and you say, um, let me give you an example. Isaiah 54, 14. In righteousness I'm established. I'm far from oppression, for I shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near me in Jesus' name. Whatever. So, so I just wanted to give this to you guys so you can have it in your arsenal. I have a note here explaining this a little bit at the end uh, if you want. But also, if you are interested in um, the healing scriptures and you weren't here, if, would someone be willing to pass these out? How many of you are interested in these healing scriptures? Okay. Is, do I have a volunteer of someone who would be willing to? Thank you, Teresa. If you could raise your hand for the healing scriptures, um, and Teresa will give you. So just keep your hands raised so she can see. But these are good scriptures to use for healing, the ones that we're handing out. Okay, now, what we're going to do, if you want, and to pursue in this activation, most of us probably have something that we want to deal with, something that might be the enemy attacking you, whether it's circumstances, whether it's healing, whether it's anything that's not in line with the kingdom. 
What I want us to do is using these, exercising our authority in the name of Jesus, commanding it, laying on a hands, if you want, and, and the sword of the Spirit, which is, if you can't, using the Word of God is even more powerful. So a good question is, if you're, if you're believing God for something, a good question you should ask yourself, what scripture are you standing on? What scripture are you standing on? So if you're saying, okay, I'm believing for my healing, okay, what scripture are you standing on? I'm standing on Isaiah 53, verse 5, that says, by Christ's stripes I am healed. Does that make sense? So if you can find a promise that's related to the breakthrough you're seeking, even better. Okay, if it's poverty, there's so many scriptures on uh, God will supply all your needs according to your, his glorious riches in Christ, Philippians 4.17, that you can use. So I encourage you to use this for yourself. But what I want to do is pray for each other using this principle. So I want to say, so a few weeks ago I gave the five-step model, John Wimber's healing uh, model. What I want to say this week is make it a bit simpler. Ask the person what they want prayer for. Now, the person receiving healing, let me say this, or whatever it is. We'll just say healing. Don't go, and if you do this, there's no condemnation. I'm just saying for, especially today, don't go in a whole history of what's wrong. Why do I say that? Because oftentimes you get the person praying for you out of faith. If you say, I have this, I've had it for 25 years, I went to 500 surgeons, every single thing you're saying is going lower, lower faith. Now, that's okay. Jesus has faith. My point is, all you need to say is, I got this, and I want healing for it, okay? Then the person praying, all you have to do, like um, Jesus would sometimes take people by the hand, just say, you can just say this, go in Jesus' name. It's all it takes. Or when Jesus prayed for deafness, be open. Now, we're going to use the name of Jesus, but command it. Like Jesus did, if it's circumstances, to the storm, peace be still in Jesus' name, Okay? Um, and if you can find a promise on there related to it, even better. Use the scripture. No. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7. Okay. So um, how, how should we do this? Those of you who want to participate, stand up. <laughs> who want prayer and want to pray. Because we're going to take turns in this one. Okay. So the first person will pray for the second one. And the second one will pray for the first. Now, if you have no prayer requests, that's fine.